you for healing. Thank you for delivering. Thank you for lifting me up. Thank you for filling my cup. Thank you for food and shelter. Thank you for healing my body. Thank you for mending my relationship for my family, my friends. I say thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. that you've made it on your own. If you feel that your success is a consequence of your intelligence, your influence, or your wealth, if you feel that by your own skill and ingenuity you've been able to avoid pain and gain happiness and joy, then you really don't know how to praise God. You don't know how to glorify him. But if you know that without him, you can do nothing. If you know in him, you live and move and have your being. If you can remember times that the Lord has stepped in, when things seem hopeless and destruction seem to be on your way, if you can remember when God has stepped in just when you needed him most, then you ought to be able to praise him and thank him, glorify him for all that he is and for all that he's done. The Lord has done great things for us, and we're glad about it. Clap your hands and give praise to God. Come on, give him praise. Praise the Lord. I welcome you all to the house of the Lord. I'm so glad you're here and what a wonderful privilege it is to worship God and praise God with you. Your voice added to my voice. And the voices of others coming together represent a wonderful symphony of praise unto the Lord. The choir sung, our God is excellent excellent in all the earth. And that means that an excellent God deserves excellent praise. Excellent glory. Excellent honor. The day is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Are there any worshipers in the house? Anybody here who knows what the Lord has done for you and you want to praise him, you want to glorify him. Hallelujah. Bow your heads for a moment of prayer. Dear Lord, we call upon you this day knowing you that if you don't bless us, we won't be blessed. If you don't speak to us, no words of worth will be spoken. If you don't intervene and show up, nothing of real consequence is going to happen in this place. We rely on you and we lean on you and we trust in you. Dear Lord, show up in this place and touch that heart, that broken heart, that burdened heart, that troubled heart. That person that does not know which way to turn. The burden is so heavy and the need is so great. Do what needs to be done in their lives. Let them leave here saying, I've been in the presence of a merciful and graceful God, met my need and transformed my life. In this day of trouble, war, dear Lord, and conflict on every hand, 
Seeming that we're just one decision away from war. Dear Lord, protect your people. Give us peace. Turn the tide of violence and destruction. Let there be peace and justice on the earth. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Thank God. Amen. Remain standing just for a moment and turn to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19 and verse 1. The word of the Lord says, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is the Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Paul asked, Unto what then were you baptized? And I would ask, what is the nature of your baptism? Would you turn to your neighbor and ask your neighbor, what is the nature of your baptism? You may be seated. The sense and nature and flow of the scripture lesson that I've read is clearer if we read the latter verses, verse 24 through 28, of the preceding chapter in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 18. The story is told in that few verses of a man by the name of Apollos. Apollos, as were the men in our text, was a disciple of John the Baptist. Apollos was an eloquent man, a well-versed man in the Old Testament. He had a zealous and fervent spirit. He was diligent to teach what he knew. And even though his teaching was not accepted by the Pharisees and Sadducees, the leaders, the religious leaders of the area, Many common people accepted the teaching of Apollos. Now, how much Apollos knew about Jesus, we cannot tell. As a disciple of John the Baptist, he had probably heard John the Baptist mention Jesus many times. John the Baptist, the founder of the movement of which Apollos was a part, John the Baptist was a forerunner of Jesus Christ. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verse 3, indicates that John the Baptist preached a baptism of repentance and remission from sins. Luke 3, 8, John insisted on fruits worthy of repentance, results, consequences, a harvest worthy of Repentance. In Matthew 3 6, the Bible indicates that the people confessed their sins as they were baptized by John the Baptist. And so John's baptism then was an outgrowth of his teaching ministry. He taught confession and repentance for sin. I said, John taught confession and repentance from sin. He urged men to live righteously and said that the only proper fruit of repentance was a life and deeds of righteousness and avoidance of evil. I said he taught that the proper fruits of repentance were deeds of righteousness and avoidance of evil. 
In other words, if you repented and got right back in your evil, right back in your unrighteousness, then you were not producing fruit worthy of repentance. I think I'll say that again. If you repent and get right back in your evil and your wickedness, then you have not produced fruit worthy of repentance. John's baptism was the individual's way of announcing his acceptance of John's teaching and announcing that he was repenting for and renouncing his sin. And so John saw his role as that of a voice announcing the coming of the Messiah. In Matthew 3 and 11, John said, I indeed baptize you with water into repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And then in John 1.29, when John saw Jesus, John said, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. So this is why John could preach not only repentance, but he could preach also remission of sins. To remit is to send away. To remit is to have carried away one's sins. Thus John declared that Jesus would be the one who would remit the sins of men, who would carry away their sins. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone into his own way. But the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. The writer of the Hebrews in chapter 9, verse 22 said, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, commitment, expectation. The level of operation represented by John's teaching is a valid stage in the life of a believer. The stage of repentance, the time of repentance, the act of repentance is a valid point in the development of becoming the kind of believer that God would have us to be. Not only did John stress repentance, but Jesus Christ stressed repentance. In Luke 24 and 47, the apostle Peter in Acts 2.38 stressed repentance. Repent and be baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Paul in Acts 17 and 30 stressed repentance. To repent is to be sincerely sorry for a wrong done. To repent is to be sorry enough that you did whatever it was that you're not going to do it anymore. To repent is to change directions. To repent is to confess your sins. And so many come to God without repentance. They come to God without confession. They decide that they want the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ extended to them. They want God to be in their lives, but they've never paused to say, God, I've wronged you. I don't deserve any good thing that you might do in my life. Sin has been in my life. I'm sorry, Lord, and I want you to forgive me. But the Bible teaches in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He's just and faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we confess, look at your neighbor and say, if we confess. When we confess then, he's ready to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Are you still with me? Repentance implies 
a recognition of the depth and severity of the wrong that one has done. And then sorrow for that act or that transgression equivalent to the extent and degree of the wrongness of the transgression. Repentance implies a desire to set it right and to get right. On the natural level, those to whom a wrong is done have a right to expect an apology, repentance for wrong. I run in the back of your car. You were just sitting at the uh, red light. I walk up to your car door and say, well, you know, these things happen. No big deal. These things occur. I ran into your car, so I better get ready for a fight. <laughs> or at least a good tongue lashing. Or if you're not saved, a real good cursing out. <laughs> uh-huh. What you really want me to do is say, listen, sir, ma'am, I deeply apologize. Anything I can do to set this thing right, I'm going to do it. Are you all right? I'm very sorry I damaged your car. Please forgive me. I'll fix it so it's better than new. Then you say, now nah, you're talking like you need to be talking. <laughs> On the natural level, when we wrong somebody, they deserve an apology. Don't be beating around the bush and saying, if you think I did wrong. No, you did wrong. If I have offended you, yeah, you offended me. Don't put any if, hands, and buts, and all that. Just say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Forgive me. The wrongdoer cannot really find emotional release until he sincerely repents for the wrong that he has done. A whole lot of marriages and friendships would be turned around today if somebody would have just enough courage to pick up the phone and say, I'm not going to beat around the bush. I messed up. I'm sorry I did it. I beg you to forgive me. You might not feel like forgiving me today, but I want my apology to be there somewhere down the road. You may find the grace in your heart to tell me I am forgiven. As I said before, so many folk come to God without repentance. But listen, we need to understand the severity of our sin. How many of you know sin does great harm and damage? Some of you in your lives can look back on harm and damage to people who were important to you, people who had not done anything to wrong you, who were hurt by your sin. Sin is a detrimental thing. So when you sin, when you do wrong, you injure the people who are around you, people whom God loves and about whom God is concerned. And then what we really need to know is that sin devastated this world in which we live. God created a world that was a world of peace and harmony and joy and love, fellowship. But when men sinned, rejected the will of God, death, sickness, pain, violence, murder, all kinds of wickedness was sown in the earth. We made a mess of God's beautiful creation. We broke the heart of God. And the only way God could begin to fix sin was by sending his son, Jesus Christ. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus died to take away our sins. He died because our sins, and had it not been for sin, Jesus would never have had to die. And so when we come as sinners, the Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When we come before God, we should not jump over the matter of straightening out our broken relationship by repentance and try to relate to God, fellowship with God, shout before. Listen, don't you come singing no happy, happy song when you've broken my leg and devastated my body. I want you to repent. God says, don't come shouting, smiling, grinning before me. You have devastated my creation. You've messed up your area of the world in which you live. The first thing I want you to do is tell me you're sorry. I'm wrong. Forgive me, Lord. 
give me another chance. Am I preaching today? But as important as repentance is, it is but a stage of God's plan for the individual. Any individual can be sorry. Any individual can repent. But only a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ can really find true forgiveness and true restoration. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. Thus, when Paul came upon this group of religious men in Ephesus, Acts chapter 19, the, verse, the verses that we read, as he conversed with them and observed them, he discovered something was missing in their worship. They were gathering to worship. They were gathering to have a religious service. But Paul saw that there was no zest, no joy, no happiness, no fulfillment in their worship. Something was missing. There was a depression. There was a sorrow. There, there was a, a, a negativity about their worship that caused Paul to try to analyze the situation and find out what was wrong. There were signs of outward repentance and mortification, but something was lacking. So Paul said, I better find out what the level of these individuals baptism is, what the nature of their baptism is. And he started at the ultimate level, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And he asked him in Acts chapter 19 and verse 2, did you receive the Holy Ghost when you believed? They said to him, we've not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. And then he asked them, unto what then were you baptized? What is the level of your baptism? What is the nature of your baptism? This seems to be a strange question until you understand that there are many baptisms mentioned in Scripture. So there are many baptisms mentioned in Scripture, and each of these baptisms represent a stage or a phase of Christian development and Christian experience. Are you still with me? The answer revealed to Paul that they were only at stage one, repentance. We were baptized unto John's baptism, they answered. And Paul started with them where they were. And then he led them up level by level by level. Having had a baptism of repentance, they were ready to be baptized into Christ. Paul said in, John, in Acts 19 and 4, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who should come after him, that is, on the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 6 and 3 says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. We are baptized into Christ Jesus. And then Galatians 3:26 says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have, have put on Christ. In other words, to be baptized into Christ is to clothe yourself in Christ, to step into Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation, Romans 8, 1, to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Jesus said, except a man be born again of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And you know that the birth of a child is preceded by the bursting forth of the water sack that the child is contained inside. And that predicts the birth of the child, the coming of the child. When the water bursts forth, that means the child is soon to follow. And new birth in Christ Jesus is so real that it's compared with water. Water predicts the birth process. Water cleanses. Water cools. Water refreshes. Water purifies. And Jesus, whom John called the Lamb of God, supplies the divine part of the John the Baptist equation. 
And John preached repentance, but Jesus supplied remission. And the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. The songwriter said, there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood and lose all their guilty stain. And the song asks, are you washed in the blood, in the precious blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Jesus bore our sins on the cross. He shed his blood, and his shed blood provides full payment for all of our sins and all of our transgressions. And so Paul brought those Ephesian brothers to a saving faith in Christ. They had to believe that Jesus was the Son of God, that Jesus died for their sins, that Jesus rose again from the dead, that Jesus ascended back to the Father, that he's coming back to receive his own in time to come. Listen, my brother, my sister, if you want to be saved, if you want new life, if you want forgiveness from God, you've got to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You've got to believe that he died for your sins, that he arose from the dead. Jesus was God's son. Only God's son could do what Jesus could do. When death had done its best to destroy him, Jesus grabbed death by the collar, stepped forth on the third day, said, I'm he who was dead, now I'm alive forevermore, and I've got the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Does anybody in here believe in Jesus? <laughs> Hallelujah. So Paul brought those Ephesian brothers to a saving faith in Christ. And that was their baptism in Christ, their introduction into Christ. If you want to be saved, you've got to have that kind of saving faith in Jesus Christ. And when you come to the point, Lord, I believe in you. I love you. I receive you. I want you to be my companion, my friend, the Lord of my life. I want you to take charge of my life. I base my future on my trust and my confidence in the fact that you are the Son of God, the Savior of the world. I love you. I praise you. I want you to be a part of my life. That's your baptism into Christ. Has anybody in here been in baptized into Christ? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But tell your neighbor, that's not all. They had had their baptism of repentance and their baptism into Christ. But then Paul took them to the third level, and that was the baptism in water in the name of Jesus Christ. Water baptism is instituted and commanded by Jesus Christ. It's not something that man concocted or that man invented. Jesus commanded water baptism for believers. Believers are not baptized to be saved. They are baptized because they are saved and are forgiven from their sins. We are baptized in water because we've been baptized into Jesus Christ. And if you have not been baptized in Jesus Christ, you just took a dip. You just got wet. It's only significant when you were baptized first into Jesus Christ. And water baptism is the symbol of the death of the old man when you're submerged beneath the water. That is symbolic of being buried in a grave, and it signifies the old man is dead. The old man is buried. He's not in charge of my life anymore. And when you're raised up out of the water, it symbolizes that a new man is born. A new creation has come into existence. Paul said in Romans 6 and 11, Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. And so water baptism is the symbol of the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, Whatever kind of life you've lived, Jesus Christ can clean and cleanse your life. When Jesus comes in, there ought to be a change. There ought to be a change in the way you live, a change in the way you behave, a change in the way you act. 
if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so water baptism is a symbol of that cleansing, that washing effect of the blood of Jesus Christ. But water baptism is also the formal announcement of the break with worldly society, the break with worldly conformity, and the casting of your lot with the people of Jesus Christ. Be not conformed to the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Hallelujah. Listen, when you accept Jesus Christ, you don't want to keep it a secret. You want the world to know. And you're openly baptized so that men might see that you might declare, you take the world, but give me Jesus. I've decided to follow Jesus. No matter what the price, no matter what the burden, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm submerged as a sign that the old man is no longer in charge. I'm lifted up out of the water as Jesus came forth from the grave, as the children of Israel came out of the Red Sea to let the world know there's a new man in this house. Come on, clap your hands and praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The death of the old man and the resurrection of a new man. Listen, if you want to follow Jesus, you've got to have a made-up mind. You've got to be determined, Lord, whatever the cost, I'm going to follow you. And then you've got to feed the right man and starve the right man. So many people starve their spirit. They may come to the altar and accept Jesus Christ. But when they leave, that's the last thing they talk about or hear about or say about Jesus until the next Sunday. They go back to the same folk, back in the same situation, back to the same behavior, back to the same lifestyle. But listen, when you accept Jesus Christ and you're baptized in water, that means you're going to starve the old man that was buried beneath the water. You're going to feed the man of the Spirit Feed him righteousness, feed him blessing, feed him prayer, feed him the word of God, feed him worship, feed him praise. When you feed the spirit, you build the spirit man up. What are you going to do with that old man? You're going to deprive that old man of the things that give him life, immorality, sin, wrong, bad companionship, some folk you can't hang with. Some folk you can't spend your time with. They'll drag you right back down into the same sin that you just climbed up out of. And you don't want to go there. You want that old man to get weaker and weaker. And if you want him to get weak, just keep telling him no. Let's look at this on television. No. Let's get this magazine. No. Let's call so-and-so. No. Wrong companionship. Wrong mentality. Wrong atmosphere. And when the spirit man says, let's read the word. Yes. Let's read the word. Let's pray. Yes, let's pray. I know you're tired. Let's get up and give God praise. Get up and give God praise. Paul said, whatever things are beautiful, whatever things are pure, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Meditate on these things. When you begin to meditate on the right thing, the spirit man gets stronger. How many of you feel stronger since you've come into the house of the Lord today? You've been praising him. You've been glorifying him. You've been magnifying him. And you feel stronger. But the man of the flesh has grown weaker. What you've got to do is continue the process. You reckon him to be dead. And you don't respond to a dead person. You don't respond to one who is dead. But if you're alive in Christ Jesus, you respond and build up the spirit man. Tell your neighbor, by the spirit, I'm growing stronger every day. Paul said, I've decided that neither life nor death, things present or things to come, height not depth or any other created thing is going to be able to separate me from the love of God. Is there anybody here who has a made up mind? Oh, bless the name of God. Jesus loved you enough to die for you, and he expects you to be committed unto him. There are so many people who are casual about their relationship with God. They're apathetic about their salvation. 
They cast it aside at a moment's notice. But we are up against enemies today who believe in their God. And they're so strong in their conviction that they will fly an airplane into a building and kill thousands of folk. They'll tear a bomb to their bodies and explode it in a crowd and kill many people. They'll get in a truck with a bomb in it and drive into a building and drag that building down. Listen, if they believe in their God so strongly that they're willing to die for them, then we ought to believe in our God strongly enough that we would live for him. I'll live for him who died for me. I'll live for him who gave me life. I'll live for him because Jesus is the real thing. Tell your neighbor, Jesus is the real thing. Come on and clap your hands and praise God. Oh, bless the Lord. Died as a symbol of baptism. Resurrected as a symbol of what Jesus Christ has done and will do in our lives. And so these Ephesians were baptized in water in the name of the Lord Jesus. But then Paul introduced them to another level of baptism. Tell your neighbor there's another level. The level of the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Ask your neighbor, do you have the Holy Ghost? Have you received the blessing? John the Baptist said that Jesus would baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. When Paul saw these depressed Ephesians, he said, I've got to do something to help these fellows out. Did you receive the baptism when you were saved? And they said, we don't know what baptism is. But Paul said, John preached a baptism of repentance. But Jesus said, you shall receive the Holy Ghost. Not many days hence. Jesus said in Acts 1 and 8, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And so the apostle was very concerned that believers receive the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 12, Peter went to Samaria and he preached Christ in Samaria. A lot of folk accepted Christ, but the Bible said they did not receive the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost had fallen on none of them. Only they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And then they sent for Peter and John, who came down from Jerusalem. They made a journey so they could receive the Holy Ghost, because the Holy Ghost had fallen on none of them. But Paul and uh, Peter and John laid their hands on them, and the Bible says they received the Holy Ghost and spake with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. If it was good then, it's good now. If they needed it then, they needed it now. Jesus said, you shall receive power. Listen, we're up against an enemy that is a powerful enemy. But the Holy Ghost will give you more power. Jesus said, I give you power to tread on serpents and on scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And I've got power that you can't see. God is living inside me. I can fight any enemy for God and me. I am a majority. Oh, bless the name of God. Paul preached Christ to them up in Ephesus, and then he laid his hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost and spake with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now listen, you can reach this ultimate level. Is there anybody here who knows that there's a greater blessing than mere repentance? There's a higher blessing than just accepting Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. When you've accepted Jesus, God has more for you. Hallelujah. God will take you higher. Oh, bless the name of God. Peter said, the promise is unto you, to your children, unto as many as the Lord our God shall call. Believer can go before God and say, Lord, you promised me the Holy Ghost. Lift up your hand and say, Lord, you promised me 
You promised me the Holy Ghost. The promise is unto you, to your children, unto as many as the Lord our God shall call. You don't have to beg for it. Don't have to fight for it. Just receive it. The Holy Ghost is here right now. Oh, bless the name of God. Simon Peter said that Jesus, by the right hand of God exalted, has shed forth this that you now see and now hear. The Bible says when Jesus was glorified, the Holy Ghost was given into the earth. You can have the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost is right here, walking right up and down these aisles, walking in between these pews. The Spirit of God that teaches us, that guides us, that blesses us, that lifts us. The Holy Ghost is here right now, and you can receive it. Child of God, you can have it by faith. Faith believes the promise of God. Faith takes hold of the blessing of God. Reach out and take hold to it in the name of Jesus. Faith does not wait until the battle is over. Faith praises God right now. God, I thank you. God, I praise you. Thank you for the promise. Thank you for your word. I'm rejoicing in your word. And the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. When you praise him, you give God a place from which he can work. When you praise him, God shows up against the path out blessings. When you praise him, God gives you the blessing that you praise him for. Come on and praise him. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, bless the name of God. Tell three people the Holy Ghost is here right now. Oh, bless the name of God. Oh, bless the name of God. I was praising him when he filled me. I was praising him when he sent power into my life. I was just a young man, but I began to believe the word and say, Lord, thank you for the Holy Ghost. Lord, I can't make it by myself, but if you show up in my life, I'll do your will. I'll live for you. If you give me power, I'll stand against every trick of the devil. God filled me. My steps got feeble. I could not stand erect. My tongue was overtaken by a power from the outside. I began to speak in a language that I've never learned. God showed up in my life in the power of the Holy Ghost. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? God filled me with his anointing. He gave me power that I did not have on my own. Power to withstand the devil. Power to walk in the way of God. Power to do the will of God. Let every Holy Ghost feel. Child of God, give God praise. Come on, give him praise. Oh, bless his name. Oh, bless his name. Oh, bless his name. Praise him for the Holy Ghost. Praise him for power. Praise him for anointing. Oh, bless the name of God. When you believe it, when you accept the promise and you claim it by faith and begin to thank God for it, the Holy Ghost will manifest in your heart, in your life, when you sense the presence of the Lord. That's your signal. You've got a right to receive it. You've got a right to speak in other tongues. Praise him. Praise him. Power. 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 Lord, we need power in the name of Jesus. That was a long time ago when the Lord filled me. But every day I go from level one and I say, Lord, forgive me my sins. And I go to level two and I say, Jesus, I love you. 
I'm so glad you're in my life. I go to level three and say, Lord, I still want to live for you. Lord, I still want to serve you. Jesus, you're still number one in my life. Then I go to level four and I say, Lord, fill me again. Take me higher. Take me deeper. Lord, let the Holy Ghost guide me and direct me. Lord, can't make this journey without you. Stand up, everybody, and say, Lord, can't make this journey without your power. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Come on, give him praise. Come on, give him praise. You need it. You want it. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Hallelujah. Praise him, praise him, praise him. Praise him, praise him. Praise him. Praise him. If you've never praised him before, open your mouth and begin to praise him. If you want this, open your mouth and begin to glorify him. If you need God, praise him. Hallelujah. Keep on praising him. Keep on praising him. Hallelujah. 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 says your soul is hungry blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled lift up your hand and say I shall be filled I shall be filled I shall be I shall be you're close you're close you're close come on praise him praise him you're almost there you're almost there between you and your God. You can't really even get to first base because that wall of sin, failure, and guilt prevent you from doing so. You can't buy forgiveness. You can't strategize forgiveness. But if you repent, the Lord said, I will forgive you and I'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. 
admit that you've done wrong. Stand before God and say, God, I failed you. I let you down. I want to live for you. I want to serve you. I want to bring glory to your name. You're the holy God. My sins stained my life. I want to be washed and made clean and holy and pure. God can forgive every sin you've ever committed. Every wrong thing you've ever done can be erased right now, right in these few next moments. You can stand before God with all the righteousness of Christ upon you. He bears your sin on the cross, paid full price for your ransom, for your pardon. Your blame is on him. His righteousness is on you. If you accept it, your life will never be the same again. Someone in this room would say, Preacher, I want my sins forgiven. I want to be sure that things are well between me and God. I want to repent to God. I want to ask God to forgive me. I want to repent. I want to be in Christ Jesus. I want him to receive me and accept me as his own dear joint heir. I want the Father to forgive me and receive me as his son or his daughter. I'm sorry for my sins. Jesus, you died for me and you rose again. Come into my life. If you're, the, if you're that person, if that's the prayer you want to pray, if you'd like for me to pray with you, I'll pray for you right where you stand, right where you are. Every sin you've ever committed can be forgiven. Jesus Christ will come into your life. You'll never be the same again. Every head is bowed. If you would say, preacher, pray for me. I need Christ. Raise that hand, please. Lift your hand as your way of saying, I need Jesus. I need my sins forgiven. I need to know things are well between me and Jesus Christ. If that's you, lift that hand up. Hold it high. Pray for me, preacher. Pray for me, preacher. I want to get right. I want to be forgiven. Everybody's standing, please. All over the room, everybody's standing. Lift that hand if that's you. If the word of God spoke to you and you sense that God is dealing with your life and you want to get your life right with God, lift that hand, hold it high. I know there are 20 or 30 people in this place today that need to get right with God. Pray for me, preacher. I want to give my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be sure that things are well between me and God. I'm about to pray now. If you've not lifted that hand, get it up quickly before I began praying so that you can be included in this time of prayer. Dear Lord, you see the hands uplifted. You see the hearts of those repentant, seeking your forgiveness, your mercy, your power. Thank you that you loved us so much to give us this opportunity. Thank you so much that you loved us so much to give your son that he would die for our sins. Thank you, Jesus. You gave your life. We praise you for it. We glorify you for it. Dear Lord, I pray that you'll work in the lives of those whose hands are uplifted. They will never be the same again. Forgive their sin. Come into their lives. Draw them close to yourself. and Never let them drift away from you and away from your salvation. Everybody say this prayer after me. Dear Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me for the wrong I've done and the wrong I have been. I want to be saved. I give my life to you. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he died for my sin. I believe he arose from the dead. I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. I give my life to you. I thank you, Lord, I'm saved. I thank you, Lord, I'm forgiven. I thank you, Lord, I have new life. I thank you, Lord, for your blessing and love. In the name of Jesus, come on, give God praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you.